Well, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We're in a series that we've entitled The Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the eyes of his best friend, the Apostle John. And John writes so that we can meet Jesus. He writes so that we can learn about Jesus so that we might believe in Jesus. That is, that we would see Jesus for all that he is, that we would know him and experience him in greater measure and in greater depth. Well, we find ourselves in John chapter 12, and we've been in John chapter 12 for a couple weeks now. And John chapter 12 serves as a transition for the entire book. In fact, the first 11 chapters span uh, really about three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. But now as John chapter 12 starts to come in, things slow down a great deal. And they're going to continue to slow down because of the significance of the events that are going to take place. What we have at the end of John chapter 12 is Jesus' last interaction with the public. There will be no more public declarations. There will be no more public demonstrations of Jesus' power. There will be no more public interactions with the crowd. This is it. Because at this point in John chapter 13, as we'll turn to next week, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples. He focuses in on the upper room. And the rest of the book is going to chronicle the life and times of Jesus in his last week uh, here on earth. And then his... uh, eventual ascension into heaven. And so we come to this place where this is it. We've got a decision to make. And we're going to see that the people of Israel who had experienced Jesus for some time hadn't been listening. Though God had given them eyes to see, they weren't seeing Jesus as clearly as they should have. There was a bit of skepticism as to who Jesus was and what he said about himself. And let's face it, we too live in a world of skepticism. Just like in the first century, we live in a world where we say, I'll believe it when I see it. They were wondering, is Jesus really who he says he is? Now our skepticism isn't all bad. It helps us to be careful of the empty promises and the phony products that might come our way. But we too live as skeptics. Have you ever been with a friend who's told you about their great vacation and the transcendental experience that they had? Maybe they went to the uh, Grand Canyon and they articulated, man, you've got to go. It will change your life. And you, with some level of skepticism, say it's a hole in the ground. How, How great can it be? I'll believe it when I see it. For those that are parents of children, you know that your children have said from time to time, hey mom, dad, the room is clean, and your response to them is, I'll believe it when I see it. Still others, we use this phrase, we have this skepticism, when advertisers tell us about things that uh, we can look forward to, the supernatural ability of of products. I love this one. Lose 20 to 45 plus pounds in 40 days guaranteed. Who wants to sign up for that? Amen? Listen, the only thing I think it is is liposuction with a shop vac, so good luck. All right? Right right away we say, I'll believe it when I see it. Now let's get more serious. How about you Bears fans out there? 
We have heard over and over again, there's a press conference that comes, we're hiring new, smarter people, and now these guys are going to show us how we can beat the Packers. These guys are going to show us how we can actually go to the playoffs, because football doesn't end in December in Chicago, it does, but nowhere else. And these guys come up, and they sit at a table, and they say, we've got it all figured out. We know where we're going to go, and all of Chicago says, we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah, you're onto it. All right, good job. So let me ask you this morning, for the last half a year, you've heard us talk about Jesus. We've seen Jesus walking and talking. We've seen Jesus do miracles. We've seen Jesus do exceedingly abundantly more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. The people of Israel had been a part. They had had a front row seat to all that Jesus had done. And you would have thought, a great many people would have believed, you would have thought everyone, because this is what we think in the 21st century, if I was only back there, if I had seen what they had, remember, they had seen Jesus do miracles. Many of the people that are going to be spoken about in this text are a part of the crowd that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And you right away say, if I saw that with my eyes, I would believe. But after three and a half years of Jesus doing the impossible. I want you to notice what the text says. In fact, turn your attention to verse 37. He says the following, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, that is they had seen it, they still did not believe in him. The natural response should be, how? How could you have seen Jesus heal people who were born lame and born blind and and resurrect people from the dead? How could you watch Jesus multiply loaves and fishes and feed thousands upon thousands of people? How could Jesus have walked on water? How could Jesus have done all of these things and the people not believe. Because just like then, as is true today, we are people who are skeptics. And what you're going to see in this text is that the roadway to believing is through our eyes. Six different times in our text, you will see a derivative of the word see or saw or people using their eyes. John wants us to know that if we are going to believe, then we need to see Jesus. And we need to see Jesus for who he is, for what he has done, and what he promises to do in our lives. And if we would see that, then we would believe. But the text tells us that right before them, the people of Israel They could not see. Even though they had eyes, they could not see in order to believe. What caused them not to see? Let's look at the first thing, blindness. Blindness. In verse 37 through 41, John quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, listen, what we're experiencing is the prophecy of Isaiah from 700 years before Christ. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. 
Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of Christ. The prophet Isaiah says, listen, there's a day coming when Messiah is going to come to town. And the people of Israel will have a front row seat to what Jesus is doing. They're going to see Jesus. And the people of Israel saw Jesus. But there's going to be something that is going to keep them from seeing Jesus for who he is. And that's true for us today. There are things in our lives that will keep us from clearly seeing Jesus. And because of that, we will miss out on the blessing and the fullness of knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus and participating with Jesus in all that he has for us. So what are some of those things? Let's look at four of them from our text this morning. The first thing that causes blindness or is a symptom of blindness is that your priorities are out of whack. Your priorities are out of whack. That is, you're living differently than what God prescribes for you. Now the text opens up and it starts in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, remember this is the feast of Passover that we learned about last week, there were some Greeks. Now John articulates this on the heels of what the Pharisees have said. The Pharisees said at the end of verse 19, look, the world has gone after Jesus. That is, Jesus' popularity has spilled over outside of the Jewish nation into the world of the Gentiles. And John says, yep, you're absolutely right. There are Greeks here to see Jesus. Now notice what they say. They come to Philip and they ask of Philip, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now I want you to stop right away and I want you to know, if you underline, that's, that's a place to underline, highlight, do whatever you're gonna do in your Bible. You don't wanna miss that because there is your priority. Each and every day, you and I should say to our Heavenly Father, God, I wish to see Jesus. When you say that, you are saying, I want to experience participate, enjoy, engage with the Savior of the world. And every day we should wake up with this as our priority. Now, notice that that's not always the case. In fact, notice in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, there's this war going on between us. We have the opportunity to see Jesus and to see him in all his fullness. That's choice number one. Choice number two is we can seek out our own fullness, our own joy, our own peace, our own success on our terms. Now what Jesus says is, if you long to live life according to your terms, you will lose your life. But if you are willing to experience me and in essence die to self, 
you will gain your life. And you will experience the eternal, that is the abundant life that Christ longs to give. But there's a battle. We have to make a decision. I love what Pastor Greg Laurie says about this. He says, now this flies in the face of conventional wisdom. He who loves his life will lose it. This seems so hard to understand, so unnatural and so impossible. But when you stop and think about it, it makes complete sense. Think of all the people who are trying to live life to its fullest, but are going about it the wrong way. They think it's ridiculous to wait until marriage to engage in sexual activity. And if you're married and the thrill is gone, spice it up. Have an affair, they say. If your spouse finds out, just terminate the marriage and move on. If you want to get ahead of school, just cheat here and there, but don't get caught. If you want to get a good job, exaggerate about your experience on that resume. File that false claim to get an insurance payout. If someone bothers you, sue them. The list goes on and on, and so do the repercussions. Jesus revealed that they were searching for what they were searching for. That is the meaning of life. But God's wisdom says that if you love your life, you will lose it. And if you live for yourself, you will never really find yourself. God's plan for you to find meaning, purpose, and yes, happiness is this. Lose your life to find it. What that means is you become second and Jesus becomes first. And if we will get our priorities set in that, we will see a whole lot more of Jesus than maybe we are right now. Second symptom of blindness. We push away the clear signs of God. Jesus says that these people, after all that he has done, still don't believe. Well, listen to me, friends. It isn't because he hadn't given enough examples. John says, after Jesus had done so many, they still, the focus, the emphasis that that there was still unbelief based on the mountain of evidence. Why? How could they have been a part of everything Jesus had done and still say, we don't buy it? The answer is, is they pushed away God. God would move and they would explain it away. God would move and they wouldn't listen. God would move and they would be unwilling to see. And as a result of that, The moving of God went right by him. Now you would say that's crazy because all of us would say at one time or another, if I had been there, surely I would believe my faith would be stronger. And this text seems to tell us that being a part of the life and times of ministry did not guarantee, nor would it guarantee for us that we would believe any more about who Jesus is. But what becomes even more glaring is is as Jesus is speaking to this crowd, this crowd that had seen Jesus do many miracles, on this last day before Jesus goes and spends his last days with his disciples, Jesus utters these words in verse 29. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there 
and heard it. Notice they heard it. They said to one another that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Let's stop there. Here these people were wanting to know if Jesus was the Messiah. They kept telling Jesus, we want a sign. And so Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then God from heaven utters, listen to me, count up the words, ten words. Ten words, there's a significance to the ten words. Why? Because Israelites had always looked to a previous generation, their forefathers, and they had longed to experience what their forefathers had experienced when God had uttered what Jewish people called the ten words. What are those ten words? The ten commandments. That moment in time where they heard God speak to the servant Moses. And every Jew wanted and longed for the opportunity to hear the voice of God. In fact, this is one of four times in all of the New Testament that there's even a mention of God speaking audibly to people. And so here they are. They're getting exactly what they were wanting, what they were looking for. And God speaks ten words and they're like, did someone hear a storm? Did someone hear an angel speak? Now what's amazing is, you would think after hearing a voice from God, a revival would have broken out, right? And John says nothing about anybody believing. What is wrong with these people? I mean, my goodness, clean out your ears, open your eyes. God is moving. But can I just tell you this this morning? That many of us, because we're living and doing our own thing our way, we are missing the moving of God each and every day. We're distracted. We went to bed, dead to the world. We woke up, and the world and the cosmos is still in its place. One inch farther, one inch closer to the sun, and what happens? We fry or we freeze. And God's held it right there in perfect harmony. We've got just enough oxygen with just enough carbon dioxide in this thing we call the atmosphere, and any less or any kind of derivative or change to that deviation, what happens? We die. But God's got it all in store. We've seen God protect us and watch over us. We could get ourselves in a myriad of issues and struggles and God's there. Even when enemies do bad things to us, what man intended for harm, God uses for good. And we've got all of this going on and God is moving and he's interacting and we're seeing God move in the lives of people. We're hearing, and I hope and pray you're hearing today, the word of God thundering to you, speaking, God saying, this is my son, Jesus, believe in him, do what he says. And some of you are already checked out. You've already moved on. You've already said, listen, he's not even to his second point and lunchtime's coming. You see, God is on the move. And so many of us, because we have gunk in our eyes, because we're blinded from the truth, we're missing it. We're missing seeing what God is doing. You're like, well, if I could just have a voice from heaven, listen, a voice from heaven won't help you if you're blind. It won't help you. So take the moving of God as you see it and open your eyes to experience it. A couple more. 
couple more symptoms of our blindness. You seek to protect your own comforts. Go to verse 41 and 42. It says, Isaiah spoke of these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, in light of all this, John says, even of the authority, even some of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. I believe with all my heart, and I was so glad that our video showed this, that John is speaking about two individuals of the Pharisees. Nicodemus, who we've seen a couple different times in the Gospel of John, and we'll see later on, and Joseph of Arimathea. Two men who were a part of the religious establishment who we believe were on a journey of believing God, and we see that amidst this journey, even though they'll get there at a later time, so we don't want to be too hard on them, that at this moment, They can't fully see Jesus for who he is, and so their status in the world keeps them from fully seeing who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in the world. And let's face it, that phrase to be cast out of the synagogue is a big deal. You would lose family and friends. You'd lose your standing in the community. There's a good chance in the Jewish nation that you could lose your house and property, You could lose any position that you had. There wouldn't be much of a life. That which we hold dear, that which is comfortable. And so because that's more important, because we want to see that, we want to make sure we have comfortability, we want to make sure we have the life that our neighbors and our friends and and others in our family have, we want to see that come to fruition. We don't see Jesus And can I challenge some of us today? How are we doing at seeing Jesus even if it means we lose some status? Even if it means we lose some popularity? Even if it means that people might say things about us? Are we willing to profess Christ or are we too busy defending our comforts and protecting our comforts that we can't see Jesus in all his fullness? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were too busy trying to keep their life that they were losing it. And some of us today are too busy trying to keep our life and we run the risk of losing it altogether. Finally, and this comes on the heels of the third one, you seek others' praise instead of God. Notice uh, the next verse. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now this word or theme of glory I considered talking about as well because again, six times in our text, that idea of glory comes. And so here's the thing. The reason why we want to see Jesus is because when we see Jesus, we will glorify him. That is the only response we'll have. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but that's our only response. But if we live for ourselves, if we live to keep our lives and in the, in the process lose it, the way we know we're keeping our lives is that we live for the glory of others. We live for the applause of others. We live for the acclaim that comes from others. But when we see Jesus, it's all about him. So Pastor Josh Moody put it this way. 
He said, the glory and approval of people is infinitely disappointing and ultimately murderous. It's far less satisfying than the all-surpassing glory of the eternal one speaking of God. To hear one word of praise from him is worth more than a lifetime of approval from this world. In the end, we all must make the same choice. Are we seeking man's glory or God's? Are we seeking man's definition of greatness or God's? Are we seeking man's praise and approval or God's? Man's standard of success or God's? Now there may be times when a lack of opposition and a comfortable life hide the clarity and the necessity of this choice. But listen, my friends, to what he says. We all have to decide whose approval we would rather have, that of Jesus or that of other people. So here in our passage, God is doing an eye exam. And he wants to know how much you see of his son. Is there some cataracts in your eyes? Is there some cloudiness that doesn't allow you to see Jesus? Could it be you've got stuff in your eyes that needs to be rinsed out and wiped away? Whatever is keeping you from it, whether it's your priorities being out of whack, that you're pushing away the clear signs of God, you're protecting your comforts, or you're seeking others' praise instead of God, whatever it is, God's saying, listen, this is your last chance. This would be the last opportunity that these individuals would hear from Jesus. From this point on, Jesus is with his disciples. From this point on, Jesus is on the road to Calvary. And might I tell you that today may be your last chance to hear what it means to see Jesus in his fullness. You say, but I'll wait till tomorrow. What the prophet Isaiah says is that God has declared of his creation that the longer you wait, the harder it comes to believe. Now let me tell you that again. The longer you wait, the harder it will become to believe. And so you can push off, you can push off, and it will become more and more difficult. We call this God's judicial blindness. And it isn't that God, in essence, says that he is going to blind just capriciously. I'll blind him and I'll blind them. He, 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 I like making people blind. It is the truth that the deeper and deeper you live for yourself, in essence, the harder it is to climb out of that. And so today, God is speaking, God through his word is showing you Jesus, and he is saying, wipe the gunk from your eyes, because if you don't do it today, tomorrow it may be too late. It will be too hard. It will be too difficult. And that's why he says, whoever will believe in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as the light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So that's why he says in verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtakes you. So this morning, are you willing 
to see Jesus as he wants you to see him. Well, what are you supposed to see? Notice this is the believing. This is the believing. We go from blindness to believing, and, and, and when we believe, you're like, well, how do I believe? What am I believing? And I want you to notice when you believe, God gives you sight to see two things. Number one, Jesus sacrificing for your salvation and mine. Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus says, where are you to look? He says, look to me when I'm lifted up. Well, what does that mean? To be lifted up means two things. First of all, it speaks of his execution. That is, he's going to be lifted up onto the cross to die. Why should we look there? Why should we see Jesus on the cross? Because when we look to the cross, we see perfection. When we look to the cross, we are reminded of our sin. When we look to the cross, we are humbled and reminded of the penalty for our rebellion against God. When we look to the cross, we see the price that was paid. When we look to the cross, we recognize that any priority less than dying to ourselves and taking up our cross daily will not work in the kingdom of God. When we look to the cross and see Christ lifted up, we see the depths and the great demonstration of his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But it goes on and it says that he will be lifted up, up from the earth. And that in doing so, he will draw all people to himself. Now, now here's the thing that John says, and it corresponds to the Greeks and those that would be there. How in the world would all the world hear? How in the world would people from all nations, tribes, and tongues hear? It wouldn't be until not his execution on the cross, but his exaltation, the ascension from earth to the right hand of the Father in heaven, where Jesus would send his spirit so that every tribe and every nation and every tongue might hear of Jesus and be drawn to him. And it is a reminder to us that Jesus is no longer on the cross, but he's victorious. He's no longer on the cross. He intercedes now from the Father's right hand for us each and every day. And it pivots to what he says in verse 31, that he has defeated the works of the devil. You see, when you get a, peer, a, a vision of Jesus, Sin and temptation will not overtake you. Have you ever thought about that? Our sin and our temptation is our flesh and the lust of the world captivating us. And so we see it and we look at it and we long for it because it looks more beautiful than what Jesus has. The problem is it's a lie. And so what we need to do is we need to fill our eyes and fill our minds and fill our lives with Jesus. And when we do that, listen to me, then and only then will we see that what the devil is offering is garbage. But if you don't have a glimpse of Jesus, you will fall, listen to me church, for anything. And some of you are falling into sin and you're falling into temptation and you're like, why, why? Could it be? That your attention and your gaze is upon the things of this world. 
And like the hymn writer says, not the vision of Jesus Christ. You want to see the devil defeated? You look deeply into the eyes of Jesus. So what does that do? Let me just close with this. It's going to involve two things. What does it mean to see Jesus? Jesus tells us. It involves following in his footsteps. You want to know how well you see Jesus? Let me ask you what Jesus says. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. I'm in verse 26. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. How do I know how my eyesight is? Let me ask you, are you following where Jesus is leading? Are you doing what Jesus has told us to do? Do you love like Jesus loves? Do you give like Jesus gives? Do you serve like Jesus serves? Are you speaking as Jesus speaks? Are you acting as Jesus acts? You want to know if you've got the 2020 vision that you're looking for? Ask the question, how well am I doing at following Jesus? And, and it involves following him in one way. Notice Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. You want to know if you're seeing Jesus as you should? How are you doing? How am I doing at glorifying our God? That's why Paul says, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, that we would do all things to the glory of God. That means I've got to die to myself. That means I've got to say no to sin in order that I may follow Jesus, that as Jesus glorifies his Father and I become more like Christ, that I will give glory to the God of heaven. And as I do that, Jesus says, I will reveal more and more of who I am to anyone who will come after me. Do you see Jesus this morning? If not, what is keeping you from seeing Jesus? And I'm telling you, find Jesus today. Follow Jesus today. Because tomorrow, it may be too late. Amen?